Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. We're counting down another system top 10. This is one of the most exciting systems, probably one of the most exciting teams in all of professional sports, North America and the world at large. That is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are fresh off or in the midst of, I guess is a better way to put it, Kyle. One of the um, most, I guess, aggressive uh, free agent signing periods that we've seen in quite a long time. And alongside me to break it down is our boy in California. That would be Kyle Glazer, who does our Dodgers top 30 coverage and has for a few years. How's it going, Kyle? Doing all right, Jeff. Yeah, you know, normally we do these podcasts. They're kind of top 10 prospects centered. But with everything that's been going on with the Dodgers, uh, this is definitely a good time and place to talk about everything they've done over the last, you know, 10 days to two weeks. Uh, obviously, signing Shohei Otani, trading for and extending Tyler Glass now. And uh, last night, less than, uh, well, about 12 hours ago now at the time we're recording this, signing Yoshinobu Yamamoto to a record contract. Yeah, they say it never rains in Southern California, but the Dodgers have certainly been making it rain this offseason. That's bad. Ooh, that that was bad. (laughs) That was really bad. You didn't like that. Uh, It happens. But uh, Yamamoto is, I mean, another, another addition to this team. Um, 12 year contract is $325 million was the final dollar value. Um, so they've spent a billion dollars on just two players and then also acquired some other players, Tyler Glasnow, who we'll talk about a little bit later, but, um, how does he fit into the rotation? I mean, probably the front of it. Um, and what do you think this sort of says for the Dodgers this season and going forward? Because they have these guys locked up for 10 years. Yeah, the overarching theme of this offseason for the Dodgers is they're not messing around. You can tell they're ticked off about losing in the National League Division Series each of the last two years to a division rival, the Padres in 2022, the Diamondbacks in 2023. And even going back to their NLCS loss against the Braves in 2021, even though they have this tremendous pitching depth, at each point, they were kind of running out of starting pitching due to health reasons. You go back to 2021, they were down to two and a half healthy starters in that NLCS. Go back to 2022, you know, Tony Gonsolin was coming off of a long layoff and, you know, with their game three starter and he was not sharp or crisp last year. Look, Clayton Kershaw just did not have his stuff. Bobby Miller was fine, but Lance Lynn, the year he had is not someone you want starting a playoff game. And we saw that giving up four home runs in a single inning against the Diamondbacks. The Dodgers have had this tremendous pitching depth, but each of the last three years when they've gotten to the postseason, they've been short of starting pitching, particularly impact starting pitching that is healthy and so they are going above and beyond to get that this offseason Yoshinobu Yamamoto is one of the best pitchers to ever come out of Japan and that is saying something when you look at going back to Hideo Nomo you have Yu Darvish you have Masahiro Tanaka you have so many excellent pitchers who came over and were immediate aces Yoshinobu Yamamoto fits in that mold 
He's won three straight Sawamura Awards, which is the Japanese equivalent of the Cyan Award. He's won three straight Pacific League MVP Awards, the first player in Japan to do that since some guy named Ichiro. And the biggest thing with him that you love is, for the Dodgers, it's that durability. He's thrown at least 170 innings each of the last three seasons. In Game 6 of the Japan Series, he threw a 138-pitch complete game, touched 98 in the ninth inning. And you look last year, the Dodgers didn't have a single starting pitcher for more than 135 innings the entire season. So they bring in a guy who's durable, who can hold his stuff deep into games, who's used to pitching in big games, loves the spotlight. You know, he pitched in the Olympics, he pitched the World Baseball Classic, he took his team to the Japan Series and stepped up. This is a guy who is that big game front of the rotation pitcher. And this year at BA, one of the things we did was we changed our inclusion of Japanese, Korean, and Cuban foreign professionals so that they will no longer be ranked in our top 100. Uh, it used to be without kind of the specific designation between foreign professional, international, amateur, the lines were blurred. Now that there's that specific designation, um, anyone who signs as an international amateur will rank for us, but those who sign as a foreign professional will not. If we still ranked these players in the top 100, Yoshinobu Yamamoto would be a top three prospect in baseball with Jackson Holiday and Jackson Churio. He would be the undisputed number one prospect in baseball, and he'd be so as a guy who's majorly ready. He's going to step in and be either the Dodgers' number one or two starter next year, along with Tyler Glass now. It will be a shock if he does not win Rookie of the Year, and there are pretty decent odds he at least gets some Cy Young Award votes. I'm not going to say he's going to win the Cy Young. The NL is stacked, but... If he finishes in fourth or fifth next year in the NL Sang Award race, as long as he's healthy, it would not surprise me. Do you think this is the best Japanese pitcher that's ever come over? <sighs> you know, it, it's tough to say that because I mean, based I on what Japanese, you just said, it's either but, him, you Darvish. So, no, I would say I would say he's the most decorated Japanese pitcher to ever come over. Um, I think that, you know, you look at what you Darvish accomplished, you look at what Masahiro Tanaka accomplished, even what Hideo Nomo accomplished in the major leagues, throwing two no hitters. He pitched like a front of the rotation starter there for a time. I think it's one of those things where I don't want to denigrate what those guys have done and say, oh, this guy's light years better. I will say he is absolutely in their class. And if we look up 10 years from now and he has had the best career of any of them, we should not be surprised. Yeah, uh, I think that is Fairly reasonable considering uh, what we saw in the WBC shortly. And, you know, we have a lot of information now uh, as well. So, yeah, it could be similar to Darvish. He came over here at 25 and did get some Cy Young votes. I think he finished ninth in the Cy Young voting and was an American League All-Star for his first three years of his career. So it's not uh, it's not unprecedented for someone to come over and do something like that. I think it was interesting to revisit that. But um, that's not all the Dodgers have done. It's not even the biggest deal that they've signed. Of course, the biggest news of the offseason, maybe in the sports world, one of the biggest contracts of all time in terms of total value, Shohei Otani. Ten years for the Dodgers. Is $700 million, right? Kind of. We're not totally sure what it is. Yeah. Some of the money's deferred. Yeah. JJ Cooper and I broke it down for the signing. I think one of the things that has stood out is the Dodgers are willing to pay 20 to 30% more than a lot of estimates. Let me, let me rephrase that. It seems like the industry is willing to pay 20 to 30% more for these premium free agents than expected coming into the off season. Most projections had Yamamoto getting 200, 210 million, maybe 250. He got 325. 
Shohei Otani, we thought would certainly clear 500 million. Maybe we get 600 million. He got 700. So we're seeing the Dodgers and really MLB teams in particular. The Dodgers had to go that high because other teams were making these offers. Uh, we know the Mets also offered Yamamoto 325. We know the Giants also offered Otani 700. The industry is willing to pay top dollar. And when you think about Yoshinobu Yamamoto has never thrown a major league pitch and just received the highest total dollar amount of any pitcher in major league history. It's pretty wild. Um, but going back to Otani signing, you know, JJ Cooper and I broke down the impact of the signing on and what it meant to the Dodgers. The deferrals came out later and, you know, it's been kind of funny as a sports writer and an NBA seeing all these baseball writers doing NPV calculations was like my two worlds colliding. <laughs> I was just laughing pretty hard. And uh, I think it was Tom Tango had a, uh, a, a something posted on Twitter uh, and a, a screenshot of his, of an Excel spreadsheet computing NPVs and like a shudder went up my spine. I have spent so many hours doing those calculations. I was like, Nope, I'm not doing those. I'm letting someone else do these. It just, yeah, there's a little bit of PTSD there, but it made me laugh by two worlds combining. I think some people fundamentally misunderstand NPV and what it all means. So let's be clear. Shohei Otani will be receiving $700 million. It's just that the value of $700 million in 2043 is less than what it is in 2023 or 2033. So he is receiving $700 million. It's just the present value, depending on which calculation you use, is about four four sixty, but even if you use present value, this was still the largest contract in Major League Baseball history by both total value and average annual value. This is a historic contract, no matter how you look at it. And the other thing with the way it's structured, too, you have to keep in mind is by deferring it, he potentially can save a hundred million dollars in taxes if he moves out of California after his playing career ends with the Dodgers. After those first ten years end, if he moves back to Japan, if he moves to another state he can potentially save $100 million in taxes. So there is benefit for him deferring the salary like he did. And the other aspect of that too is you have to remember Shohei Otani brings in about $50 million a year in endorsement revenue, plus the $2 million a year he'll be taking home in salary. So he's going to be making $52 million a year, which is more than enough to live on. Yes, even here in Southern California and Newport Beach where he lives. Um, and then after his playing days are done, he's going to be pulling in $68 million for a decade. That's really, really valuable. We see so many athletes squander their fortunes. Not that you worry about Otani getting into a drug habit or a gambling habit. That's not his personality. But we see so many athletes squander hundreds of millions of dollars. And as soon as their playing days are over, whether it's bad investments, whether it's getting swindled by financial advisors, all sorts of things happen. So having that recurring income stream of $68 million a year for 10 years after his contract is up, that's valuable to him too. So I think people criticizing him or why he did this deal. There's a lot of financial upside for him in doing it this way, even though the present value isn't as max, isn't the maximum it could be. And the other thing to keep in mind too is, and I've said this over and over and over and over as someone who has covered Shohei Otani up close and personal since he was in Japan and since the day he arrived in Major League Baseball. He wants to win more than anything in the world after being with an Angels team that never had a winning season with him. He wants to win. And he has always been the selfless, benevolent type that will make personal sacrifices to do what's best for the team. And him deferring his contract the way he did, again, benefits him in a lot of ways people aren't talking about. 
but it also allowed the Dodgers to make these moves and make their team stronger and go get a Yoshinobu Yamamoto, go get a Tyler Glass and extend him. So this deal did so many things that benefit Shohei Otani, did so many things that benefit the Dodgers. I, I particularly like the clause about how he can opt out if Andrew Friedman or Mark Walter leave. So he basically guaranteed their job security. This was like a win, 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 win and, and really creatively crafted. So um, it's a historic deal. It's a momentous deal. It's an impactful deal. I will not say it's the most important deal in Dodgers history. Uh, Jackie Robinson takes that title, no questions asked. But I would say that it is certainly a historic, momentous, impactful deal, both in terms of the size of it, the way it was structured, and what Shohei Otani can and will bring to Los Angeles. Again, everything it enables the Dodgers to do. Um, it's kind of just jaw-dropping, both the dollar figures and what they've been able to do. Yes, and their and their most impactful signing is uh, J.D. Drew. Everybody knows that. Why <laughs> this is even debated. Um, an all-time great, of course. Um, joking there, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been unbelievable. And I think uh, the negative reactions, it seemed like a lot of it was sour grapes from certain fan bases that didn't get the player. Um, I think it's great. You know, I, I don't think this is all that unfamiliar to folks that follow international football. I believe there's been some contracts similar to this in the premier league over the last few years. Uh, I think the total value actually eclipses anything. So it's, you know, I, they got creative, um, whether it was Otani's camp and the Dodgers or other teams and everybody was willing. And you know, we've, we've heard different things reported. Um, I think it's great. And the fact that uh, the Dodgers, it seems like it's good for them because they have an opportunity now to actually make back a lot of that <laughs> deferred payment very early on because they're in the Otani business. And I think that's one element that often kind of gets forgotten with free agents and big signings and big name players and superstars. But there is some value to your franchise, especially if you are a popular team that is a brand to begin with. It's a way to build okay. on top of it. And he's a he's a doorway to an international marketplace that you know he's viewed like Michael Jordan, right? Like <laughs> there's there's a lot of other things at play here. They also made another deal. They went out and they grabbed uh, Tyler Glass now. I guess Manny yeah. Margot as well. They send Ryan Pepio um, and Johnny DeLuca the other way to Tampa. Both players that you're familiar with, that you've written about, ranked in recent years. So talk to me about this trade a little bit and then we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break, I think, and then probably dive, dive into the top 10. Yeah. So look, Tyler glass. Now his stuff is incredible. It's front of the rotation type stuff. He did a really good job dialing his control at the Rays. The biggest thing with him is he's never thrown more than 120 innings in a season and he's never made more than 21 starts in a season. So the fact the Dodgers signed him to an extension, which made the total value of his contract that they'll be paying him, Five years, $136.5 million, taking him into his age 35 season. What was a little bit surprising, but again, there's always a premium cost for pitching. I, I think that you can certainly dream on, especially in 2025, hey, we have a rotation with Shohei Otani, Tyler Glass now, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. You know, if they re-sign Walker Bueller, he's in there. If not, you have Bobby Miller, you go to six-man Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Emmett Sheehan. The main thing is there's a lot of elbow surgeries in there. Otani's now had two UCL surgeries. Tyler Glass knows how to Tommy John surgery. Walker Bueller's had two elbow surgeries. D Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin have both had Tommy John surgery. So given the Dodgers need for pitchers to stay healthy into the postseason, because that's been their issue. It hasn't been they lack enough arms to get through the season. It's by the time they get to the postseason, a lot of their guys are hurt or running on fumes. 
I still think it would behoove them to go make one more deal to go get a front rotation type who can eat innings and you have no doubt will hold up for 190, 200 innings because that's still the one thing they don't really have. I mentioned Yamamoto. He threw 170, but it was also every six days in Japan. He should eventually adjust fine to the every five-day schedule, but it's an adjustment. So I actually think that given how much the Dodgers have invested in this year, also future years, but look, they're going for it in 2024. Don't kid yourself. That's There's a lot of motivation after what has happened the last two years in particular in the postseason to get back to the World Series. They've made a World Series three times in four years, and since then they've, they've fallen off by their standards. I would like to see them make one more move, and I actually think they need to go get Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas from the Brewers, build a package around Michael Bush, Gavin Lux, whatever arm the Brewers want, whatever catcher the Brewers want. Michael Bush would be the Brewers' third or fourth best hitter on opening day right away. He's from the, that area. You bring Gavin Lux home to Wisconsin. He can fill in a middle infield need for them. He'd probably be one of their better hitters, you know, as soon as he gets there as well. I think for the Dodgers, one of the things that's appealing about Corbin Burns, even though he's only signed for one more year, is you look at his innings totals. He threw 202 innings in 2022. He threw 193 and two-thirds last year. He's someone who can give you the innings you need at the front of rotation, and you feel good will still be effective for you once you get into October. And given the Dodgers prospect depth, given their organizational depth, Michael Bush doesn't have a place to play, you know, Again, they have more catching and pitching than any team really ever needs in terms of prospects. I think that's a move for them to go make. You bring Adamas back as well. He stabilizes the defense on the left side of the infield because right now that's the one Achilles heel. If you look at this projected Dodgers lineup, Max Muncy at third, Gavin Lux at short. You don't feel great about that defensive alignment. If Willie Adamas is at short for you, it can help make up for some of Muncy's shortcomings at third base. So I actually think just given everything the Dodgers have done, that's a move I'd like to see them make. And they can then roll out this year a rotation of Yamamoto, Glasnow, Burns, Bueller, if he comes back, and Bobby Miller is your top five. I mean, that's or holy crap. <laughs> if Bobby Miller is your fifth starter, that's holy crap. Um, and then after next year, you know, assuming Burns leaves, you still have just a really, really good setup for the future because Otani would be coming back. So I, I think that Tyler Glasnow is a really good addition. He doesn't necessarily solve their biggest problem, which was having healthy arms in the postseason. Just because he hasn't done it yet, it's hard to feel great about it. I think that's where you go bring in Corbin Burns right now. You make the trade, you trade whatever it takes, those four or five prospects, and go get them. Um, Glass and I will say the acquisition cost was right. You know, Pepio's a good young pitcher. Again, whether he was going to get a chance with the Dodgers, we don't know. Johnny DeLuca is a really good outfielder, you know, probably a platoon guy. Maybe he becomes a starter. It's the type of guy the Rays do really well with. So I think if that's the cost for Tyler Glass, now you make that trade every day and the Dodgers are right to make the trade. But I still don't think they should be done. If I'm the Dodgers, I'm going and getting Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas ASAP. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great trade idea that you floated right there. So we're going to take a quick break, Kyle. When we come back, we're going to talk about the players that the Dodgers could potentially trade for <laughs> Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas. Not unreasonable. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. All right. Uh, so, Kyle, we talked a lot about the offseason acquisitions. I think it's one of the most interesting storylines in baseball, let alone the Dodgers. So we had to give it its due. Let's talk a little bit about the prospects here. You mentioned uh, in your preamble, talking a little bit about the Corbin Burns potential deal uh, and just some trades that could be out there, how Michael Bush is a really attractive, ready-made MLB prospect. He ranks number one in this Dodgers system. Talk to me a little bit about Bush and how he sort of climbed up to the top here, because they do have a very talented system. You can go to the top 20 uh, and just look right on down and name guys that be in the top 10 in most systems. Yeah, Michael Bush really separated himself as the number one prospect in the system um, based on my reporting, based on my own views. Um, there was a little bit of discussion for Dalton rushing, and, and there were some people in the Dodgers system who thought he might be number one, but it was pretty overwhelmingly Michael Bush triple a MVP award last year in the Pacific coast league was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues. Um, really last two years, he put up some, some pretty big numbers in the minors. I think the biggest thing with him and where he gets dinged a little bit for teams or scouts that are more model driven is his age um, in combination due to the pandemic and just the fact that he's been blocked you know, he's 26 years old now. And anytime you see a guy who's 25, 26 raking in AAA, you wonder, okay, is it just age? Is he a quad A guy? And I really dug in on that with evaluators, specifically outside the Dodgers organization. And the answer was an emphatic no. This is a middle of the order hitter in the major leagues who has a chance to hit 260, 270 with 25 to 30 bombs and get on base at a 350, 360 plus clip. The plate discipline is real. The swing is real. The power is real. Everything about Michael Bush offensively is real. It's not a mirage of the Pacific Coast League. It's not an outgrowth of him just being older and beating up on you know younger competition or AAA competition. 
The bad is absolutely real. The issue is simply he does not have a place to play with the Dodgers. So the Dodgers drafted him. He was a first baseman at North Carolina. The Dodgers tried to make him a second baseman, kind of in the mold of Max Muncy. But with the shift being banned, second base just isn't really, I want to say it's not realistic. He can stand there, but you don't want him out there for 162 games. So the Dodgers shifted him to third base last year, primarily in AAA and in his short time in the majors. And for a guy who had never played the position before, he showed some things to work with. But it's still a brand new position, and it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of reps, unless you're a freak athlete, to be able to play any position to the level of a major leaguer. So he's not going to play first base to the Dodgers. Freddie Freeman's there. The Dodgers have announced Mookie Betts is going to be the second baseman moving forward. He's not moving him off. And they just re-signed Max Muncy. Michael Bush needs a trade. I actually went through and looked at this. I feel, you know, I remember you and JJ talking about, you know, Ryan Noda last year, if he would be uh, better than, you know, 10 current major league first baseman in baseball. Looking at the current crop of first baseman in major league baseball right now, there's no doubt in my mind, if Michael Bush was on an opening day roster in 2024, he would be better than at least 10 and probably 15 current starting first baseman in major league baseball. There are so many teams that can benefit from his addition. I, I'm not kidding when I say if the Brewers acquired him, he would be their third or fourth best hitter from day one. It, he just needs to go somewhere. He can play first base, you know, be a primary first baseman, get some DH at bats on days off. If you need him to play a little second or third, you can. But again, I just don't think you mess with it. Just make him your everyday first baseman. Let him rake. That's where you'll get the best version of Michael Bush. And he's actually a decent defensive first baseman. Part of the reason he plays second and third is because he's just athletic enough where you say, you know, maybe he can do this. In reality, he probably just needs to be a, a good defensive first baseman who mashes. That's the best version of Michael Bush. He's not going to get that opportunity with the Dodgers, but the talent is real, and I think he just needs a trade. Yeah, I think absolutely. Look at the underlying numbers. Everything is really there. It's kind of just been a, a running joke for a few years now, I think, from prospect hounds of free Michael Bush. We want to see him actually get opportunity and see if he sinks or swims. Um, and based on the skills, I would be shocked if this guy doesn't hit well. He doesn't chase. He makes contact. He hits the ball hard. He elevates the ball when he makes hard contact. So there's not too many things to knock outside of the defense. But as you said, first base, you take a look at first baseman outside of like the top 10 or 11, it starts to thin out quite a bit, you know, and it wouldn't shock me um, if he's equal to a guy like Reese Hoskins, who's out there as a free agent. It really wouldn't be all that shocking. You trade off a couple of years. There's very similar skill sets there, et cetera. Uh, you know, I think that you're accurate with that. Now, that being said, the rest of this top 10, there are, five pitchers that you ranked if i'm not mistaken yes five um we know there's a lot of pitching depth in this organization they do a great job particularly in the later rounds in trade acquisitions that are kind of under the radar like a river ryan um they're able to acquire pitchers that they can bring into the organization and develop and make better so how difficult was it to sort of line up these pitchers did they fall into line um you can kind of go through the rank as, as you want yeah. So, you know, I talked about Michael Bush was not unanimously the number one prospect, but there was a pretty strong consensus. If you asked five different people in the Dodgers organization to line up these five pitchers, you get five different answers. 
And that was also true when I spoke to evaluators outside the Dodgers organization and just even my own looks, I can see the argument for any of these five guys, why they should be ahead of one another. I will say that there was a general sense that Gavin Stone, even though his debut was really, really poor last year, he got better in the second half of the year. Um, he was kind of hamstrung by a toe injury in spring training that threw off his delivery, his stuff declined, his command went down. It wasn't great early. He was better the second half of the year. We saw him pitch really, really well in the AAA Championship Series. We got his first win in the majors toward the end of the year, showed you some more flashes. There, there still was some ugliness there, but the combination of the durability he's shown, um, there is stuff there. There is command there. There's a long, long, long list of guys who got knocked around in their first major league stint. He ultimately ranked as the best pitching prospect in the system just because of what he's shown he can do at the highest levels in the minors and has gotten to the majors. And there's a durability factor there too that plays in his favor because at the end of the day, you have to be on the mound to be a really good starting pitcher in major league baseball. That said, he's not the highest ceiling pitcher in this system. And that's where Nick Frosso and River Ryan really come in. Nick Frosso has the best fastball in the Dodger system and one of the best fastballs in the minors. The velocity, his ability to command it, the way his delivery works. It's long, lanky crossfire, but he commands it. And there's enough secondaries there where you could dream on a really impactful starter. The issue is just health. He's never been able to stay on the mound. It's a lot of short outings. He got really sick last year. He has trouble holding weight. So realistically, what is he in the end? There is more of a sense he probably ends up in relief just because of the durability limitations that have plagued him throughout his career. River Ryan is kind of the wild card here because he's the best athlete of the group who has the loudest stuff in terms of the total package, everything, the fastball, the slider. And even though he's older, he was a two-way player in college. So it's a fresh arm. He's kind of young in pitching years. And the biggest thing with him is just because of that inexperience, there's still a lot of inconsistency. He will have days where he looks like a top 10 pitching prospect in all of baseball. And then he'll have days where he can't get out of the first or second inning. So, Again, there's an aspect here of, okay, can he take another step with another year of experience, kind of iron out those consistency issues? And then you're looking at the guy who has the best stuff of the group and the best athleticism of the group. Then, yeah, maybe he is the best pitching prospect out of this group. It's just hard to pull that trigger. I will say it was good to see him get over 100 innings last year. There was you know, just a lack of proven durability before. Getting over 100 innings last year was really, really good for him. It was a good first step. I would say, you know, you have Kyle Hurton here um, as well, got to the majors, showed really good stuff, took some huge steps forward. No one ever thought he was a starter, and now he looks like he could be. Maddox Bruns wasn't really in the conversation for this. Um, I, I will say that, you know, we ranked it Stone, Frasso, Hurt, Ryan, but any of those guys, if we look back 10 years from now, could be the best major league pitcher out of all of them, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's uh, remarkable how much talent there is in this system. And then we know, you know, the Dodgers player development machine and what they've been able to get out of so many players over the last, you know, several years. Uh, it's exciting to see what, you know, these guys could turn into or <laughs> if they end up with another team and in the major leagues this year. Um, 
the the group behind that is still very very deep i know we talked about it at the top of the show this is one of the deeper top 30s i know i had an opportunity in our our final uh proofreading uh for the the uh, prospect handbook which is now out by the way or not officially out but you can order it it's been sent to the printers um so get your orders in for the prospect handbook that's my shameless plug um but when i finished with this system it was like wow you know there's yeah. certain systems where they're very tight from one to 15 and they'll be ranked accordingly because of that from 16 on this felt like okay this is the next guy that could be in the top 10 for them every year when i read this chapter it sort of feels that way uh and we saw that reflected in the top 10 this year guys like kyle hurt guys like river ryan weren't in the top 10 last year if i'm if i'm not mistaken and they and they they sprout up so talking a little bit about the depth in this system when you were going from 11 to 30, you have two other uh, teams that you write for the handbook. I know I have four, but none of them match the Dodgers, even close. Um, so we're already like a third of the way through the league. You got to read a lot of handbook chapters as well. How does the depth for the Dodgers rank versus some of the other systems? For me, this is the deepest system in Major League Baseball. Now, I will say the Dodgers don't have that superstar at the top of the system. You know, in previous years, you had Corey Seager, you had Cody Bellinger, you had Walker Bueller, guys who were top 10, top 15 overall prospects in the game. They don't have that guy this year. But what they do have is a large collection of extraordinarily talented young players who continue to get better under the Dodgers instruction in probably the strongest player development apparatus in major league baseball when you combine what they do both hitting and pitching and to your point about going through 16 to 30 every single one of these guys are like yeah this guy has a legit path to a major league role and not just as a call-up but you know i mean you and i have done this enough where sometimes you get to the number 22 prospect and it's okay, this guy really isn't very good, but maybe there's one tool here you kind of lean on and say there's an outside chance he becomes a call-up who gets a cup of coffee in the majors because of that one tool. That's not this Dodger system. Not just 1 to 30, even 1 to 40. There's guys like, yeah, no, I could see this guy getting to the majors and staying there, maybe as a reserve, maybe as a complimentary player, but being a bona fide major leaguer, um, a guy like Kyle Nevin, who was really impressive last year, didn't crack the top 30. Jared Karras, same thing. Um, Lucas Wepp, a reliever who throws gas, didn't make it. And he would probably be a number 20 prospect in some other system. So it's really, really good. In terms of the guys in the top 30, you know, I thought about this. Peyton Martin was one of the best pitching prospects I saw last year, any level. He's number 18 in this system. He would be the Royals' number one prospect with room to spare. Like, that's the depth we're talking about here. Guys in the late teens would be number one, two, and three prospects in some of the weaker systems in baseball. Some of these guys in the 20s would probably be top 10 in some of the weaker systems. And, and even the middle of this ranking, you know, Justin Robleski, Kendall George, those guys would be top 10 prospects in them, I would say, probably two thirds of systems in baseball. So, they don't have those future MVPs at the top, but they have good big leaguers potentially all the way through. Look, all 30 of these guys are not going to click. We know that that's the nature of prospects. Injuries happen, development goes sideways, but all these guys have a legitimate path to the major leagues. And you can't say that about almost any other system in baseball. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is when you compare them with some of the other systems that have good depth, that maybe 
you'd want to compare and contrast against yeah. the Dodgers. The thing that stands out about the Dodgers is there's no broken first or second round picks that have tumbled down from the top 10 into that 21 to 30 <laughs> range, really. But like you see in a lot of other systems where it's like, yeah, I know, I know these names in the 21 to 30 range, but is the true talent really there? Are they really the prospects that we, we thought? Well, well some there? of that is those guys fell out, right? I mean, look, no one's sure. perfect. Jaron Kendall retired. Otherwise, he would be a guy that, you know. It's been a while since Kendall, though. I mean, how many drafts? Yeah, it's 27. Well, Cody Hosey, 2019, is probably the one you look at. You know, he didn't rank anywhere. Um, that's a busted pick. But But the Dodgers even admit that. And I think that's, you know, a healthy sign of an organization. There are some organizations that we speak to or I talk to you talk to that insist that the guy who was a first round pick hitting 210 and a ball with bad tools is still a prospect has got to wait it it's important to be clear-eyed and the Dodgers are very clear-eyed about hey we missed that one okay you know let's learn from it and move on and I think that's something else that makes them a really healthy organization sometimes a pick doesn't click or a guy gets hurt and they say okay learn from it if there's something to learn from it and move on. And, and I think the Dodgers, while they have some of those failed picks, because they've been able to do such a good job in all aspects of scouting and player development, they have enough players who can move up to take those guys' place. It's not like, oh, I have to put this first-round pick at number 23 now because there's no one else here. The Dodgers have plenty of guys, and they're strengthened that too, where, okay, maybe we missed a first or second rounder, but our fourth, fifth, or eighth rounder is really freaking good end of the day, if you get one, two, or three impact players in a draft class, it almost doesn't matter where you get them from. Yeah, very few players uh, slide down the Dodgers list, it seems. There's been a couple. You know, yeah. we could go into that, too, but maybe not today. Um, Kyle, any closing thoughts here as we wrap up the Dodgers Top 10 podcast? Yeah, look, the Dodgers are where they perennially are. They are one of the best teams in the National League. They just got better. And that's something they, they've done consistently. They brought in Mookie Betts. They brought in Freddie Freeman. They, they've consistently made moves to bring in impact players and make the team better. And they're doing that again. So you have one of the best teams in baseball that's getting better in the major leagues. You have a tremendous farm system below it. It's really kind of status quo for the Dodgers. This is a team that should continue to dominate the National League West for the foreseeable future. And now it's about getting over the hump, getting back to the World Series and winning it over a full season. I, I will say, you know, looking back at that 2020 World Series, and I said this at the time, and I think it's important because as more time has gone on, more people are denigrating it and saying it doesn't count, it's not real. The 2020 season was incredibly challenging for everyone involved. It was a different challenge than a 162-game season. But it had its own challenges. So I think saying the 2020 World Series doesn't count is inaccurate. It's not fair. That was an incredibly challenging year for so many people on so many levels. But I think we can acknowledge that it was different than a 162-game season and winning a World Series. Again, different kind of challenge. You can acknowledge it's different without denigrating it. And I think that for the Dodgers, it is important to now win a World Series over a full 162-game season. All the moves they're making are aimed at that, and the pressure is on. And I think now it's go time. And that's where I go back to, if you're going to do this, go big. Go get Corbin Burns and William Thomas. It's not a situation, though, where if it doesn't happen in 2024, they're screwed and their window's closed. They have a window open for quite a while, but they've also had a window open for the past decade too. And 
there's been more disappointment than success. So the pressure is on, but I think they're making all the right moves to address what they need to do, which is ultimately win a World Series over a full season, bring a parade to Los Angeles that everyone can attend and kind of silence the doubters. Absolutely. Well said. It's a new year in Los Angeles. We'll see what the 2024 Dodgers can do. This is one of the more exciting off seasons and build up for a team in quite a long time. So I want to thank my colleague, Kyle Glazer for joining me uh, and please give a like and uh, excuse me, subscribe, like and a review wherever you guys get your podcast, whether that's Apple Stitcher, et cetera. And uh, happy holidays from all of us here at baseball America. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.